Today we're going to be covering chapters 11 through 13 in the book of Numbers. And before we begin, I want to start out with a quick prayer for everyone. Dear Lord, I pray that you bless me and everyone listening with true happiness and peace in life. Lead us away from hate and anger toward love. From restless mind and anxiety, give us peace. Lead us from fear of of death to eternal life. Dear Lord, when we suffer despair and lack of confidence, lead us to hope, faith, and trust. Lead us away from dishonesty and deceit toward eternal truth. Allow eternal peace and tranquility to fill our hearts, our minds, and our lives, and our world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right. Chapter 11, the people complained to Moses. Soon the people... Sorry, soon the people began to complain about their hardship, and the Lord heard everything they said. Then the Lord's anger blazed against them, and he sent a fire to rage among them. And he destroyed some of the people in the outskirts of the camp. Then the people screamed to Moses for help. And when he prayed to the Lord, the fire stopped. After that, the area was known as Tabera, which means the place of burning, because fire from the Lord had burned among them there. Then the foreign riot the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt and the people of Israel also began to complain oh for some meat they exclaimed we remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt and we had all the cucumbers melons, leeks, onions and garlic we wanted But now our appetites are gone. All we ever see is this manna. The manna looked like small coriander seeds and it was pale yellow like gum resin. The people would go out and gather it from the ground. They made four flour by grinding it with hand mills and pounding it in mortars. Then they they boiled it in the pot and made it into flat cakes. These cakes tasted like pastries baked with olive oil. The manna came down on the camp with the dew during the night. Moses heard all the families standing in the doorways of the tents whining, and the Lord became extremely angry. Moses was also very aggravated, and Moses said to the Lord, Why are you treating me, your servant, so harshly? Have mercy on me. What did I do to deserve the burden of all these people? Did I give birth to them? Did I bring them into the world? Why did you tell me to carry them in my arms like a mother carries a nursing baby? How can I carry them to the land you swore to give their ancestors? Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people? They keep whining to me saying, give us meat to eat. I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too too heavy. If this is how you intend to treat me, just go ahead and kill me. Do me a favor and spare me this misery. Moses 
chooses 70 leaders. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather before me 70 men who are recognized as elders and leaders of Israel. Bring them to the tabernacle to stand there with you. I will come down and talk to to you there. I will take some of the spirit that is upon you, and I will put the spirit upon them also. They will bear the burden of the people along with you, so you will not have to carry it alone. And say to the people, Purify yourselves, for tomorrow you will have meat to eat. You were whining, and the Lord heard you when you cried. Oh, for some meat, we will... We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you the meat and you will have to eat it. And it won't be for just a day or two or for five or ten or even twenty. You will eat it for a whole month until you gag and are sick of it. For you have rejected the Lord who was here among you. And you have whined to him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? But Moses responded to the Lord. There are 600,000 foot soldiers here with me. And yet you say, I will give them meat for a whole month. Even if we butchered all our flocks and herds, would that satisfy them? Even if we caught all the fish in the sea, would that be enough? Then the Lord said to Moses, Has my arm lost its power? Now you will see whether or not my word comes true. So Moses went out and reported the Lord's words to the people. He gathered the seventy leaders and stationed them around the tabernacle. And the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to Moses. Then he gave the seventy elders, the same spirit that was upon Moses. And when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied. But this was, but this never happened again. Two men, Eldad and Medad, had stayed behind in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but they had not gone out to the tabernacle. Yet the spirit rested upon them as well. So they prophesied there in the camp. A young man ran and reported to Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' assistant since his youth, protested, Moses, my master, make them stop. But Moses replied, Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them all. Then Moses returned to the camp with the elders of Israel. The Lord sends quail. Now the Lord sent a wind that brought quail from the sea and let them fall all around the camp. For miles in every direction, there were quail flying about three feet above the ground. So the people went out and caught quail all day and throughout the night and all the next day too. No one gathered less than 50 bushels. They spread the quail all around the camp to dry. But while they were gorging themselves on the meat while it was still in their mouths the anger of the lord blazed against the people and he struck them with a severe plague so that place was called kibroth hatava which means graves of gluttony because they were buried the people who had craved meat and from egypt from kibroth Atava, the Israelites traveled to Hazeroth, where they stayed for some time. Here in chapter 11, there's a lot to uncover. Um, in verses 1 through 13, uh, 1 through 3, instead of instead of trusting God to take care of them, the people started to complain. 
The first complaint against God is just one of many during their wilderness travels. God reacted quickly and harshly to their murmuring because it was seriously undermining the plans God had set forth for them. Their complaining indicated their ingratitude, impatience, and lack of faith. The difficult process of going from Egyptian bondage to God's promised home in Canaan could only be accomplished if the people patiently trusted God to get them through. The same is true for us. Next, in verses 4 through 5, we are told here that a group of Egyptians traveling with Israel began complaining. Notice that the complaints were then spread by the Israelites. This illustrates the importance of supportive company as we pursue spiritual growth and obedience to God's plan. One of Satan's strategies to undermine our faith may be the negative attitudes and comments of those around us. We need to be careful about the time we spend with those who drag us down, and we need to seek out people who build us up and strengthen us in our pursuit of the life God intended for us. When things got tough in the wilderness, the people wanted to go back to their life of bondage in Egypt. The people seemed to think that a life of slavery was better than what they had there in the wilderness. They had stopped seeing with the eyes of faith. They had lost sight of their goal and of God's guiding presence. Our spiritual journey can be likened to Israel's experience in the wilderness. As things get tough, it is easy to look back at our old life with longing. We need to keep our eyes on God and His promises for us. If we do, we will eventually discover a new and better life. And uh, here in verses 4 through 6, um, we see that and we also learn that we often fail to see our greatest blessings. God had supplied the people of Israel with a miraculous provision, manna from heaven. But there, but here they revealed their discontent by complaining to God. They were blind to the fact that supplying an entire nation of people in a desert with ample provisions was an awesome miracle. We may find ourselves complaining about our circumstances in life. We need to stop and examine all the wonderful blessings we have. Then we can continue growing spiritually with the positive attitudes of faith and thanksgiving toward God, our great provider. And lastly, here in verses 10 through 15, when Moses complained angrily to God about his unpleasant circumstances, God didn't rebuke him. He evidently sympathized with his problem. God's response toward Moses stands in stark contrast to the severe judgment brought upon the Israelites for their complaints. God evidently saw that Moses' motive, motives were pure and his faith genuine. Thus, he responded to Moses' honest cry for help. God is never afraid of the anger we may feel about the situations we face. He desires honesty in our prayers. Alright, chapter 12. The complaints of Miriam and Aaron. While they were at Hazaroth, 
Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because he had married a Cushite woman. They said, Has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he spoken through us too? But the Lord heard them. So immediately the Lord called to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam and said, Go out to the tabernacle, all three of you. So the three of them went to the tabernacle. Then the Lord descended in the pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tabernacle. Aaron and Miriam he called, and they stepped forward, and the Lord said to them, Now listen to what I say. If there were prophets among you, I, the Lord, would reveal myself in visions. I would speak to them in dreams, but not with my servant Moses. Of all my house, he is the one I trust. I speak to him face to face, clearly, and not in riddles. He sees the Lord as he is, so why are you not afraid to criticize my servant Moses? The Lord was very angry with them, and he departed. As the cloud moved from the, above the tabernacle, there stood Miriam, her skin as white as snow from leprosy. When Aaron saw what, he, what had happened to her, he cried out to Moses, Oh, my master, please don't punish us for the sin we have so foolishly committed. Don't let her be like a stillborn baby already decayed at birth. So Moses cried out to the Lord, O oh God, I beg you, please heal her. But the Lord said to Moses, If her father had done nothing more than spit in her face, wouldn't she be defiled for seven days? So keep her outside the camp for seven days, and after that, she may be accepted back. So Miriam was kept outside the camp for seven days, and the people waited until she was brought back before they traveled again. Then they left Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. Here in chapter 12, uh, verses 3 to 4, this uh, parenthetical statement about Moses' humility is one of the most revealing uh, evaluations of his character found in Scripture. He is described as the most humble man in the world. This is essentially the same quality commended by the third beatitude. God blesses those who are humble, Matthew 5, 5. Evidence of Moses' humility is found in his great patience and perseverance as he led Israel through the wilderness. Our own humility is extremely important as we surrender our lives to God. So when they... When they were liberated from Egypt after so many long grinding years of captivity, the Israelites were happy to be on their own. But after a year of wandering through the deserts of the Middle East, they began to complain. It was easy to find things to gripe about. Some complained about the itinerary, others complained about the steady diet of manna, still others grumbled about the water quality. For Miriam and Aaron, Moses' two siblings, an easy target for discontent was Moses' wife. They didn't like the fact that he had married a foreign woman. Their criticism of their younger brother represents one of the human race's earliest uh, recorded cases of family meddling. Miriam and Aaron even managed to put a spiritual veneer on top of the observations. As Has the Lord spoken only through Moses? They asked. Hasn't he spoken through us too? Numbers 12, verse 2. The pair received an unexpected answer when God called them to ask to task. 
Aaron and Miriam, he called out, demanding that they report immediately to the tabernacle. God explained that Moses enjoyed a unique and privileged relationship with him. I speak to him face to face, said God. So why were you not afraid to criticize my servant Moses? God then punished Miriam's meddling by striking her with an advanced case of leprosy. Moses begged God to heal his sister and God reduced the sentence. Miriam would not die of her disease, but she would be banished from the community for a week. The punishment turned out not to be as severe as it could have been, but the lesson was clear. Apparently, cheap shot remarks about family members are more serious to God than many of us thought. Chapter 13 Twelve Scouts Explore Canaan The Lord now said to Moses, Send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I'm giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the twelve ancestral tribes, so Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He sent out twelve men, all tribal leaders of Israel, from their camp in the wilderness of Paran. These were the tribes and the names of their leaders. Reuben, Simeon, Judah, Isaacar, Ephraim, Benjamin, Zebulun, Manasseh, son of Joseph, Dan, Asher, Naphtali, Gad. These are the names of the men Moses sent out to explore the land. Moses gave the men these instructions as he sent them out to explore the land. Go north through the Negev into the hill country. See what the land is like and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Do your, do your best to bring back samples of crops you see. So they went up and explored the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob near Lebo Hamath. Going north, they passed through the Negev and arrived at Hebron where Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai, all descendants of Anak, lived. When they came to the valley of Eskol, they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes so large that it took two of them to carry it on the pole between them. They also brought back samples of the pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eskol, which means cluster, because of the cluster of grapes the Israelite men cut there. The Scouting Report After exploring the land of 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community that they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. But the people living there were powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. 
But Caleb tried to quit quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with them disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread the bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We never saw it. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak next to them. We felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. So here in chapter 13, um, the spy mission was undoubtedly planned to encourage Israel. They would see for themselves the richness of the land God had promised them. The spies' report began with the glorious description of the promised land, but the mood abruptly changed as they began to focus on the giants they stood between, them and their new life there. They failed to recognize God's power to overcome obstacles, no matter how great. Because of their lack of faith, they had to wander nearly 40 more years in the wilderness. We all must keep our eyes off the obstacles of life and keep our eyes on God, whose power is sufficient for any giants we may face. In verse 30, the minority report of Caleb and later Joshua emphasized God's power to overcome even the greatest of problems. Their faith enabled them to see problems not as obstacles, but as opportunities for God to prove himself. The basis for their faith was God's promise to save his people from their enemies. When we have an active faith in God, our view of life and its challenges will emphasize the positive rather than the negative. Lastly, verse 33. In this verse, the words of the ten spies reveal their perception of themselves. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. The Israelites failed to perceive themselves as God saw them. They were his chosen people, backed by the promises of the creator of the universe. God had promised to give them the land of Canaan. As we face life's greatest challenges, we must see ourselves as God sees us, not as we think we appear next to our obstacles. We need to realize that God loves us, and has promised to help us overcome the adversity and sin in our lives. So we open today with grumbling and it seems like it seems to be unwarranted because God is angry and sends a fire around the edge of the camp. Then they start grumbling again about food. Their complaints aren't related to an unmet need. God has given them mana. This isn't desperation. This is entitlement. God provides for them, but they don't think it's sufficient. They long for Egypt forgetting that whatever God calls you to endure with him is better than any kind of abundance without him. It's not likely they had abundance in Egypt, anyway. They're romanticizing the past. 
and God calls it a rejection of him. Moses is stressed about Moses is stressed out by their crying and takes his frustration out on God. But God isn't his problem. The people are his problem. God's solution involves a delegation of responsibility and a distribution of God's spirit. When God the Spirit moves among them, they prophesy. At the very least, prophecy is truth-telling. Moses says he wishes all God's people were prophets. It's better to be a truth-teller than an entitled complainer. Up to this point, Moses has been the only one communicating the words of God to the people. But here, others are doing it too. This brief moment of prophecy helps establish trust. And now, these leaders in the camp show evidence of being connected to God too. Moses is thrilled to share authority with these leaders, even though God maintains that he and Moses have a distinct relationship. God says he'll send the meat the people want. In fact, he'll send so much they'll regret asking. He brings a wind that blows so much quail into the area that their dead bodies pile three feet high. Those who gather the least amounts of quail get more than 1,002 liter bottles. He also strikes some with people with a plague directly related to their mistrust of his heart. God is just in whom he strikes down. He knows hearts and sees everything. They give the place a name that translates to graves of craving. After this, Moses gets hit with family drama. Miriam and Aaron push back on his leadership and make prejudiced remarks against his Ethiopian wife. Moses doesn't fight back. Maybe he trusts God to act, or maybe he's just too emotionally exhausted to deal with it. But God rebukes Miriam and Aaron. He strikes Miriam with leprosy, which probably means she's the one who stirred up the sibling rivalry. And Moses asks God to heal her. God does, but he puts her in timeout for a week. So she has to get clean outside the camp. But even these consequences doled out by God are a means of restoration not just punishment. The entire camp is impacted by Miriam's sin of gossip and slander. They have to wait another week before they can set out again. God tells Moses to send 12 spies, a leader from each tribe, to scout out the land he promised them. After 40 days of spying out Canaan and seeing how amazing and fertile it is, only two of the leaders believe God's promise that they can take the land. Caleb from the tribe of Judah, the largest tribe, and Joshua from the tribe of Ephraim, possibly the smallest of the non-Levite tribes, the greatest and the least. The other ten leaders doubt God's word. This is a game changer. When leaders are afraid and don't trust God, followers won't either. The doubting spies report seeing Nephilim in the land, but how can they show up Again, here, if God wiped them all out during the flood. Here are three theories. One, more fallen angels are up to the same tricks. 
Two, the legend of the Nephilim is carried down through generations and has become a term they use to refer to any particularly large people. And three, since the ten spies who doubt are so afraid, they're likely exaggerating to scare the people out of taking the land. Their report of Nephilim is never confirmed by God, Joshua, or Caleb, so it's likely just fear talking. It's beautiful to see the three distinct persons of our one unified God all represented in the camp in various ways. God the Father dwelling in the most holy place, God the Spirit resting on Moses and the others he chose and likely but not certain god the son appearing as the pillar of cloud and fire even in the midst of his people grumbling god is with them and he's where the joy is all right that does it for our reading today i just wanted to leave you all off with a daily devotional once again Be willing to go out on a limb with me. If that is where I am leading you, it is the safest place to be. Your desire to live a risk-free life is a form of unbelief. Your longing to live close to me is at odds with your attempts to minimize risk. You are approaching a crossroads in your journey. In order to follow me wholeheartedly, you must relinquish your tendency to play it safe. Let me lead you step by step through this day. If your primary focus is on me, you can walk along perilous paths without being afraid. Eventually, you will learn to relax and enjoy the adventure of our journey together. As long as you stay close to me, my sovereign presence protects you wherever you go. Amen. Thank you all for tuning in today to this episode of the Bible Podcast. Hope you all have a great day and God bless each and every one of you.